0: There. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Matt, so much. That's a lovely introduction. I, I'm very fortunate to have been a very good team, and that team serves uh, Mosaic, and I, I've not actually been at South for a few weeks, and so it really is great to be with you. Um, just before we get into the preach, I wanted just to take a moment to update you on a couple of things. Um, as a church family, we've been going about 12, 13 years now, and there's been some prophetic pictures things that we feel God has spoken to us about as a church that we really hold dearly and hold tightly to. And those three pictures all involve ships. And so the first picture is a ship called Mosaic, and this is the ship, and we're a multi-site church uh, really specialising in disciple-making. The second picture is that that of a shipyard, so this isn't the only ship that we're meant to be involved with, but we're meant to invest in people, train people, and send out other boats, other churches, uh, to reach the nations. And the third picture is that of an armada, uh, where lots of ships come together in a formidable fighting force. And the, uh, the, the armada that Mosaic it finds itself in, uh, we call it the hub. And we're a hub within Catalyst that's within the New Frontiers family. And con- uh, at the moment, this is what our hub looks like. Uh, we have a number of churches, 14, 15 churches and church plants that are connecting in with Mosaic and we serve these churches, we really love and appreciate these churches, and together we form sort of a team that hopefully can do a little bit more together than we can separately. Uh, and there's new churches join us all the time. So near the bottom there, New Spring Church, Osset. There's a church in, new, uh, in Osset near Wakefield who's just currently really close to sort of joining us. They're planting into Castleford, and so we're getting to know them. And I guess I'm letting you know this stuff because... Um, If this is something God has spoken to us about, it's really important we run with it and uh, invest in it and give our time and energy to it. And so uh, it's important that you guys know what we're doing because quite a bit of our time and resources serving these churches as well as receiving from them. And so please do uh, pray for us as we serve these churches and as we just seek God's best for them. But secondly, given this is our year of prayer as a church family, it's good from time to time just to let you know some things to pray for. So if we just have the next slide, this is Peter Marina de They were part of Mosaic uh, uh, four years ago now. They left to go to Cape Town to plant a church. Uh, There's been some ups and downs on the journey, but they've now got a launch team. And they're planning to launch their church plant at uh, at some point this year. Uh, Well, Peter's actually just been made redundant, and I I think he took that as a bit of a sign that he was to invest more time into the church plant. He has actually now found another job, but it's far less demanding, and he's wanting to release a lot more of his time to invest in his team and the community called Granendal, which is a suburb of Cape Town. And we as a church family love them and love what they're doing, so we are going to give them a gift from our church planting savings So every year we put some money aside to give to people like Peter and Marina who are involved in church planting. So we're going to give them about £10,000 to sort of say we want to bless you with this. This hopefully will release your time, release the stress of trying to deal with family as well as uh, plant this church. And I would love it if you guys in your devotional times with God during this week, if you could just remember Peter and Marina pray for them pray for this church to get off the ground um, we really love these guys I'm going to be visiting in July and I uh, would love to see uh, some fruitfulness between now and then in terms of reaching into their community shall I just pray now is that right just take a moment to pray for them Lord thank you so much for Peter and Marina thank you God you've called them to reach families uh, in their uh, uh, bit of Cape Town thank you God for their absolute passion To see people far from God brought home into relationship with you. And God, I pray build a strong team so that when they launch, uh, they will have uh, a family to invite people into. Lord, I pray for uh, this money that we're giving to them. God, would you bless it? Would you grow it? Would you use it for building your church and supporting this family in your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, if you've got a Bible, do you want to just turn to the New Testament? If you could turn to 1 Timothy. Today we're continuing our series uh, on building real relationships by looking at sacrificial giving to one another. So how we grow as a community uh, where we give our time and our energy and our money to bless one another. Who wants to be part of a community like that? Yeah, we all do, don't we? And personally, I think we uh, are are doing really well on this one. When I look at the church and hear the different stories, um, uh, Dan told me just recently of a nameless couple in the south that um, have got this bank account, which is separate from their normal bank account, which is their giving fund. So they put money regularly into this separate bank account and they use that to draw from just to bless other people in the community. I just think that's amazing. Um, we uh, I just heard two weeks ago of a couple who um, felt God speak to them about taking another couple out to dinner, like to bless them, pay for their meal. And also they bought prophetic gifts. They bought them gifts to give over this meal to say something of how God feels towards this couple. And I've never heard of anyone doing that before. I just thought, what a brilliant idea. Um, I love the fact that... Um, uh, there's obviously lots of children around. I love the way that uh, parents are so open in sharing baby equipment and baby clothes. I 've definitely had the experience of thinking I see a child that 's mine and realize it 's <laughs> not mine. they 're just wearing my child 's clothes. And uh, many parents have that experience around here. We had a couple at North who um, they literally visited church twice, and then they had their third baby and someone in North had managed to get their details and arranged for random people in the church to come over and uh, give them meals for two weeks. And this family later came back to me and said, we knew no one, like everyone that knocked on our door with uh, with tea uh, and dinner, uh, we had no idea who they were, but we suddenly realized this church has got something very special going for it, we're gonna stick around. Uh, I know just a couple of weeks ago in the little offering box, there was an envelope uh, that uh, had someone's name on it with a pile of cash. And so obviously someone had been praying themselves, God, who am I meant to be giving to? And God had spoken to them, this person, and they put the cash in the envelope and that money will get to that person. Who doesn't want to be part of a community like that? Um, And I love hearing stories. There are many thousands of stories that go uh, unheard by me but still reflect the fact that I feel God has blessed us with a very sacrificial, uh, generous community. And it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. But this is where it's important, I guess, this morning. We can't rest on our laurels. We can't have all our stories in the past but this is a family that God has joined together and there are many, many more acts of sacrificial generosity to come and we should let God's word, the Bible really encourage us this morning in this whole area so that's what we're going to do 1 Timothy chapter 6 if you've got your Bible and we're going to go from verses 6 to 10 and then jump to verses 17 and 19 and it's on the screen behind me but godliness with contentment is great gain For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share, and in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Should we just pray, God? We live in a world that uh, emphasised getting as more important than giving, and. We live in a world where looking after our own needs comes way before caring for each other's needs. And God, we want to ask you for help to be different this morning. Help us to be rich in good deeds. Help us to find contentment in what we have. Help us to be open-handed with our stuff and deal with our greed, our insecurity, and lack of love, and encourage us this morning. I pray, especially those that are leading the way in this, that they would be encouraged to keep on running the race. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, our reading this morning from 1 Timothy is uh, written by the Apostle Paul, who's writing to his young apprentice, this a man called Timothy and he's advising him over a very difficult situation that has arisen in the church some false teachers have come in and they're teaching some wrong stuff about Jesus but they're also teaching or encouraging the church to love money instead of people and verse 5b which is just before what we read says that these teachers think becoming godly is a means of getting rich that's what they're telling the church And so to counter this argument, the Apostle Paul lays out an equation in verse 6 that uses the same words but twists the meaning completely. And this is the equation he he uses in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So godliness plus contentment equals great gain. And just to break that down for you, godliness means the normal Christian life lived in relationship with God. Contentment is a word to describe a joy that is independent from things or possessions or circumstances. So, Paul is able to say to another church in uh, Philippi, I've learned the secret of being content. That's the same word in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So, the secret is not in the stuff, but it's in Christ. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So, true wealth comes from knowing Christ because when you know Christ, you receive everything that's important to him. Things like a reward, uh, your identity, your value, your security, all of that is found in Christ. If you're not Christian here this morning, it's important you see that right at the start as we try and frame this discussion about being content and that contentedness leading to generosity. If you do not have a contentedness in life, you will never have generosity in play. And for us as Christians, we find that all in the person of Jesus. Because when you belong to him, then you receive all the stuff that truly makes you content. It's an incredible privilege. So godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Great gain is measured in spiritual, not material value. It's not self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. So um, this formula means this. There is huge benefit for your soul in being content in your life with God. There is a huge benefit for your soul in being content in your life with God. So no matter how stormy it is outside, your inner sense of peace is worth a million pounds. In the contest between the richness of having and the richness of giving, then the richness of giving with God wins hands down. In other words, you'll never find contentment outside a life with God. Amen? Everyone believe that? And this is the point. If we get this down, if we live by it, Paul says then it will mean you can live a generous sacrificial life that makes us rich in the life to come. And he says that right at the end of verse 18. He says, command them. He says, if you get this principle in place, verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay out for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they take hold of the life that is truly life. So a community that is content in God is free from having to acquire stuff and free to be rich in good deeds and willing to share. Now, I once heard of a preacher who, to try and illustrate this stuff, he um, had on stage or behind him lots of different props. And they were things that uh, uh, we have in life that we think bring us gain. So he had like a toy car and a toy house. I think he had like a mini desk to represent work. And basically, this preacher, as he sort of roamed the stage, he kept on placing red stickers on all the different items that he had collected at the front. And each sticker had the same word on it, and the word was temporary. And he said this, everything I put a sticker on is temporary. It will not last. It will fade away. We invest our emotions in these things because when we acquire them it gives us a little thrill and we think that thrill will last but it does not, it fades and eventually so will what we acquire. If you are living for what you see up here then you are living for what is temporary. Temporary satisfaction, temporary fulfillment, temporary meaning. It will come to an end but you never will. It will leave you with a terrible emptiness. And the preacher just kept on putting these stickers on these various things. Temporary, temporary, temporary. And it's interesting, isn't it? That word temporary, well, it's it's not a word we ever see in the adverts. It's not a word that we get from the sales assistants. It's not what we think about when we click the button during our online shop. There is only one thing in the room that isn't temporary, the preacher continued. There is only one thing, one item that you will be allowed to take with you from this life to the next. And at this point, he had a little girl join him on stage and he put a blue sticker on the collar of her dress, which said, forever. When you get to the end of your life and you take your last breath, what did you want your life to have been about? What will make us rich in the eyes of God? will bring us great gain in this life and the life to come. It's people investing in each other and our relationships, giving away instead of giving to ourselves. And if you like, you could draw up a table. If we can have this slide, the things that are forever and the things that are temporary, the things that are forever, well, it's God and it's other people. It's my soul. It's the acts of love that we experience in this life. But the things that are temporary, the things that we tend to invest in, our possessions, our money, our pleasures, our titles, positions, security, power, health, physical attractiveness, and youth. They're all things that don't last. And that, this, if you like, is what our text is about this morning. Rejecting the lie that acquiring stuff makes us happy for the long haul. Believing godliness plus contentment is great. Gain, And that should release us and lead us into sacrificial giving in community, which counts forever. So if we're to summarise our text as a formula, next slide, godliness plus contentment equals great gain and sacrificial giving. Could you take a moment, turn to the person next to you, and in your own words, you're all not looking very happy at this point, Um, in your own words, could you explain this formula to one another, and probably more importantly, tell the other person how it makes you feel. Do you feel like, oh yeah, I think I'm starting to get this, or oh my gosh, this is very hard to live in practice, so I'm looking for a little bit of honesty as well, okay? So try and explain it to one another, then talk about how it makes you feel, all right? You've got two minutes. Let's give it a go. Okay, everyone. So, a little bit of confession. Um, This is, uh, as I thought about, how I feel towards this. Um, Hopefully, I'm not the only person in the room (laughs) feeling this. But um, I, I get it and I appreciate it and want to live in it, but I find myself wanting to have my cake and eat it. So, I want luxury and I want to invest in nice things. And I want to give, but the problem is there's never any money left to do the giving because I've spent it on my stuff. I think the Apostle Paul totally understands that this little church that he's writing to also like, really struggles to live in the good of this. And so he tries to identify two groups of people to speak to and then give some really practical advice. And those two groups of people are those that want to be richer. So anyone in the room could deal with an extra £10,000 a year. Yeah, that's quite quite a few. Some of you are quite embarrassed about. That's not anything to be embarrassed about. Um, And those that are already rich. And just remember the context of where we live in the world. We, if you live in the UK, you're probably in the top 10% of the world already. So most of us in the room would be on a world scale fairly rich already. So there's those that want to be rich and those that are already rich. And this is what he says, verse 9. He says, those who want to get rich, so that's the first category, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And here's the second root, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Notice first, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, verse 10. The desire for money is the problem, not the money itself. Money and wealth are actually seen as very positive things in the Bible. Material comforts are, according to verse 17, for our enjoyment. They're good things. To enjoy material comforts is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with having them. Verse 18, the rich aren't told to stop being rich. Rather, if you have money and are deeply involved in the lives of others, then that's a good thing. Don't forget in the Bible, Abraham, Job, and Solomon were all blessed by God with wealth. They're not bad things in and of themselves. Paul is warning us, though, if you want to get rich or already are rich, it's a trap. And that word for trap there uh, is the word for uh, a hidden trap to catch birds so it's something that's camouflaged something you don't see coming and so you've got to ask yourself how is the love of money a trap well two things I think Paul wants to say number one trap one is a desire for money blinds you so the desire for money can blind you and distort your understanding of how much you really have so this is how it works Addiction happens when your body gets used to certain substances and you need more to provide the same satisfaction. And the same thing happens with money. So, at first, money means you can buy certain things that you didn't have before, but quickly, these things you could do without become things that you can't do without. Then you want the better version of the same thing and luxury is demanded. And what used to be a luxury becomes a necessity. So just like really ordinary example, 20 years ago, if I went to the gym or went running, I would wear my oldest T-shirt because it would just get sweaty and all that sort of thing. I I need a new T-shirt for the gym, so I go into the shop, and what is before me and what my expectation is, is a T-shirt that is lightweight, and breathable, reflective, that wicks away my sweat in a magical way and is branded, and what used to be a luxury is now a necessity. And we're trapped. You have more money, but less to give away. We're trapped in a cycle of expenditure. We're trying to be simple, and I think across the room, most of us, we haven't got lavish lifestyles, we're trying to be simple, but our simplicity has adjusted. And money just blinds you to what you have. You never have enough, you never have spare, and you think, I'm not greedy, I'm just strapped for cash. But actually, you're addicted. Ouch. You must start with how much you want to give away and build your budget around that as needs arise, as God prompts you. Otherwise, there is never anything left. Look at what you're spending on. Think about what's become a luxury. We did this recently in the Hatch household, and what came up for us, it's like a really little thing, but in our house, we only have filter coffee. And so instant coffee was banned about seven years ago. And that's all is drunk in my family. And we've now switched back to instant. And I know that is blasphemous for some of you (laughs) in the room. But that's just like a little example on a small scale of something that has become a luxury um, and a necessity. Now, you may be sat there thinking... I don't have much money. It's not a case of uh, I'm spending it on luxuries, but bottom line is I don't have much money. uh, I'm either looking for work, I'm on benefits, or the job that I have, I don't get paid much. How on earth does what Paul's saying relate to you? Well, wonderfully, the thing to celebrate is that when you don't have much, your expectations are fairly low. And that means things are shared fairly easily because you're not demanding luxury. You're happy with what you have. And you rely much more on one another to share the good things rather than having to buy them for yourself. And so if you don't have much money in the room, I know it sounds a crazy thing to say, but there is a freedom and a lack of greed that you have that many of us who are rich don't have. However a trap for you could be this. For those of you that don't have much money and feel like you want to give but you don't have the cash to give you end up giving more of your time. And whereas that's a wonderful thing for the church it's not a great thing if you feel bad for not giving much money so you're making up for it by simply giving loads of time. Because that time is given out of a place of guilt. Not And that's not a good motivation for sacrificial giving. Remember, for everyone, generosity flows from being content in God, not because you want to please people. The little you give according to Jesus is rewarded and valued by God. But beware the trap of serving to please others rather than serving out of a place of knowing a contentment in God because he values you above all else. Trap two. Not only do we have to avoid trap one of desire of money blinding us, trap two is a desire for money can lead to false security and fear. You think wealth brings security and safety. So if I have lots in the bank, you know I can relax. I've got this buffer. Or if I save up and own a house, then I'm set financially for the rest of my life. Or if I'm investing a lot right now in my pension, then everything's going to be okay in the future. It feels safer. Remember, those things aren't wrong, but if we're placing too much of our hope for security, then that is the reason why we don't share. It's not stinginess, it's fear. That's the heart issue. That eagerness for money and security is actually resulted in fear and worry. And that pulls you away from God and weighs heavily on your shoulders. And it's no wonder, Paul says in verse 10, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's an amazing way of putting it. By desiring more money, by putting your security in other things, you've pierced yourself with many griefs. Personally, that fear of not having enough, wanting to stockpile my money, causes me to think wrongly about how I use my money. So I I find myself sometimes asking, how little can I give before God gets mad at me? You know, what can I get away with? What's the, you know, what is going to be okay in the scheme of things? It's not really being generous, but how much stuff can I keep and not get in trouble? And that's a bit like going to your mum on Mother's Day Mum, what's the least amount of money I can spend on a present before I offend you? You know, that's, that's the thinking that is going on there. King David in the Bible once said this to God. He said, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we've given you only what comes from your hand. He doesn't ask what's the least amount I can get away with. He says, who am I? that I should be able to give like this. I want to use my stuff to build your kingdom, not my kingdom. So Paul is saying the love of money poisons us. It's a trap. And there's two traps. The desire for money blinds us. And secondly, the desire for money leads to false security and fear. So I just want to ask you this morning, have luxuries become necessities in your life? Are you waiting to have more before you share more? Are you waiting to have more before you share more? I just want to say it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Are you willing to share what you have? I remember Pip and I, when we first got married, we bought our first car. And it wasn't a great car, but it was our first car. I can remember lending it to someone in the church. And they brought it back, and it had a huge sort of damaged bumper. A big hole in it. And the rest of the car was absolutely fine. just And they never said anything. Just sort of like dropped it back. And it was a couple of days later. We're like, where's that come from? And I could just feel myself just wanting to retreat from sharing stuff. And it, 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 they should have obviously apologized and paid me lots of money to get it fixed and all of that. But just, you know, I felt something retreat in me. Have you, have you experienced that? Um, just two weeks ago we, we, we bought a new lawnmower so our old one has finally given up the ghost uh, I think growing up in the church we were, we we're often the oldest in the church so that lawnmower has been borrowed by everyone uh, many many times and it's been a joy to do that but it's fascinating we bought a new one two weeks ago and my first thought was I'm not going to tell anyone that we've got a new lawnmower and I've blown that now obviously <laughs> But I just felt myself wanting to say, I just want it for myself for a bit. Now, just while it's new, just so I can get that temporary... <laughs> I mean, you think my life is so sad, don't you, right now? In your income bracket, in your neighborhood, the things that are taken for granted, have you succumbed to what the norm is? So we always adjust to where we sit in the pecking order. we always think, oh, we give more than them. Have you just adjusted to the norm with what it's okay to buy? Do you look on others more well off than you and say, I'm living more simply than them, so I must be okay? Are you simply keeping up with those around you? But actually, it's killing sacrifice and generosity. Listen, if we find our contentment in God, this is true: the more money you have, the bigger the difference between how you could could live and how you actually do. Do you get that? The more money you have, the bigger the difference between how you could live and how you do. See, listen, are you looking, Mosaic Church? Are you looking? to God, and saying to him, where can I use my stuff generously? Are they financial gifts? Are they lifts to the airport? Is it dog sitting? Is it babysitting? Where can you give your stuff, your time, your finances to bless this community? Let me summarize. Um, Oscar Wilde wrote a book called The Picture of Dorian Gray. It's the story of a man who sells his soul for ceaseless youth and beauty. So old age just can't touch him at all. And everyone marvels at this man. It marvels at his eternal youthfulness. But his beauty hides a soul marked by greed and lust and giving—sorry, uh, getting not giving. And in the story there's a painting of him which shows the condition of his inner life. And so initially, the face in the painting is as handsome as he is in real life, but his sin begins to be reflected on the canvas. Every act of deceit, every moment of greed, every bit of selfishness becomes another wrinkle or pockmark or twisted feature until at last the face of the painting is too hideous to bear. So he hides it away in the attic. And in the end, when death comes to Dorian Gray... The painting is who he has become. Dorian Gray is, if you like, the opposite of what the Apostle Paul uh, is saying in the life that he's calling us to. Outwardly, Dorian Gray is renewed every day. Everyone envies his beauty, but inwardly he is wasting away. And I wonder how would we would live differently if the conditions of our souls was as visible as the condition of our bodies. If you don't have a, you, you don't have a painting that's hidden away in an attic, but you do have a soul. And Paul is saying, if you want your inner life to thrive, if you want your soul to thrive, learn contentment with God. And if you learn that, you will be someone who gives sacrificially to others. So godliness and contentment equals great gain and sacrificial giving. Who wouldn't want to be part of a community like that? Do you want to stand with me? Let's pray. We're going to worship together and spend time enjoying the presence of God amongst us, but should we take a moment just before we begin to allow God through the power of this Holy Spirit to come and encourage us, challenge us, lead us to that place of repentance. Should we just give him permission to make us a community that truly find our contentment in Jesus, not in the stuff we have. So Holy Spirit, we give you free reign this morning as we've been challenged by your word that you'd come and uh, come very close to us. Thank you, you are the one who draws alongside. And ask God that you would do the, both those things. You would encourage us where you see us learning bit by bit how to be a generous community, but also, God, would you challenge us afresh? Would you help us to see what truly counts for eternity? Forgive us, Lord, where we just get that all wrong, and we live for temporary things. And God, we so want to be a community that's attractive to those that are yet to put their trust in you. We want to be a family that takes care of the needs within it. And Lord, I want to say, I want to be part of, of that. I don't want to just receive. I want to give into this community. Please help us by your grace. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.